It is unscripted and Pamela got in touch with us. She wanted to speak uh, about an issue for herself. Um, we often talk about the drink culture on the show. We often talk about what we could do to, to change it. I often think it comes down to do we actually want to change it? I'm not sure we do. But she wanted to talk about what it is like to be the adult child of an alcoholic, the legacy that you live with from that. And she joins me now on the line, one of our listeners. Uh, Pamela, you're very welcome. Oh, thanks very much, Kira. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good indeed. Um, tell me, first of all, why you want to speak about this. Well, I suppose, Kira. you know, I've been listening to the conversations over the last week and, 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 and indeed since the, the show started about, you know, drink and the effects of it. And sometimes I think we kind of skirt around the edges a little bit. And I think, uh, from my own perspective, this is something I've been kind of studying both personally and professionally, if I could put in those terms before I start, um, for a very long time. And, you know, I suppose living, I put to the chaos, my dad was an alcoholic and uh, he wasn't one of those pleasant alcoholics, you know, the ones that they go to the pub and everyone says, oh, he's great crack and they come home. Maybe they vomit up, they get up the next morning to cause no problems other than that. My dad was not one of those at okay. all. He was a very, very different type of a character. And um, I just wanted to put it out there and I said, you know what, let's do it. Uh, let's do it for all, the, for all the little ones out there who might be um, going through something like I did. So I suppose as a child, if I could paint a picture of what it's like to be a, 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 a child, an actual child, and um, the first thing I notice, I'm speaking personally now, is fear. It grips you like you've never experienced anything in your whole entire life. And I'm talking about maybe two or three, when you start to get some kind of an awareness of your surroundings. A little bit, maybe a bit older. Um, so the first time you see the anger, the fear hits in, and then you go, okay, I'm gone. Because I'm meant to be safe here, but I'm not safe. Okay, but the first time you you actually have a physical reaction to the anger, this is when you know your emotions and feelings are really on high alert. I suppose I call it at this point. You know, you do. You know, speaking for myself, I did have a physical reaction to it. I mean, that's normal enough, I guess. Ah, for sure. Yeah, Uh, yeah. You know, um, you know, and I'm going to be very blunt now, Kira, and I did say this to Emma. So, my my physical reaction would have been stuck to the ground. And I literally would have urinated. Putting it bluntly, I would have wet myself. As a, as a child? As a child, yeah. Without so, a doubt. so you'd be so frightened of mm. your dad and he, he'd mm. come in if he had drink taken that you would, God love you, you'd wet yourself? Yes. Okay. Absolutely, 100%. And I'm putting it out there not to be dramatic or sensationalism. It's just real. It's, a, it's painting a picture. And so, <clears throat> you know, you live with that fear. You live on the high alert of when things are going to kick off, and I, I call, I call that for myself now. I call, call that the stop, start emotion. You don't know whether you can go, stay, what you know. You're, yeah. you're like, do you know those little Sabuti or soccer people, Kira? Yeah, do the little rocking things on the little, the, the, little, little, ha- the, little, the little half sphere underneath their feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a wobble. You don't know where you're going, and then eventually you stop. Yeah. When, when, when the anger goes, <clears throat> and so. That's um, that's something that, you know, that never leaves you. 
to be honest, you're always on high alert. And so you have, I'll speak for myself, you have problems, like these are, you know, well-documented ones. You have problems with the with the shame, the hiding, the, the low self-esteem, the not being protected, being angry because of that, being vulnerable, being all of those things. And you, you wait for the judgment. So you have problems with that. Do you know what I mean? Because when when the anger subsides, then the little snipey comments come. You're not, you know, you're you're this, you're that, you're all of those things. So, you know, these were not easy things to hear, I suppose, as a child. And I'm not saying this to be unkind or, 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 or not caring towards my dad. This is who he was. And I don't think the man had a, a one minute of one day of peace of mind for himself. Yeah. You know, and I think that that that's the sadness. If I was to have any sadness or any compassion or any caring, I would say that's where I would come from on that. He didn't have a one ounce of peace of mind for himself. Yeah, it's unlikely that your dad behaving the way he was was a happy man or was or was um, liked himself either. But can I ask you just I'm, I'm taking I want you to take me back to when you were that little girl and, and you were afraid and, and you've, you've you've talked about fear and not feeling safe and not feeling protected and that anxiety and all of those things. Mm-hmm. And then you're you're, you're scared. You, you've wet yourself. Like, d- would, would your dad notice? Would would he react to that? Would he react? Would he would that soften his cough or would he react with anger or did he not even notice? Um, to be honest, I don't think he would even notice. And if he did, he would probably just get more angry. OK. Well, you see, he'd but, probably feel guilty and then he'd take that guilt out as anger. Yeah, I... I described that Kira, you know, I, I remember many of the time that happening and, you know, um, you, you hide, you just find this anywhere in, in, a, in, in a house, in a small house, you find somewhere just to be your own little person and sit there, you know, and that, that, that would be something that. So you would try and make yourself kind of small or invisible, you'd get under the bed or you'd go up? Yeah. And, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Or. Uh, we lived in a, in a certain place so you'd go up on the turf shed you'd hide you'd, you'd hide on the roof of the shed yeah mm-hmm. and um, you know that that's as a child and it's it, you, you know and then you have all these feelings of when you get a little older Kieran and people say well your dad has an illness you know and he's sick and all this and I'm like I'm just speaking now red raw right I'm not making judgment she, you you feel anyway. free to make a judgment, Pat. You, you, I think you're entitled, to be honest. And um, thanks, Kira. I appreciate that. And uh, uh, you know, and say, and I, I say, well, I remember having a massive outburst. And well, if he's sick and if he's this, then go away, get fixed, come back, or leave us alone and be drunk somewhere else. Yeah, just get lost. That's, that's totally the, fair, Pat. That's totally fair. You know what I mean? I I understand that that people who are struggling with addiction. That mm-hmm. they are that they are having a bad time. I understand that, mm-hmm. but that in no way takes from the people around them mm-hmm. who are experiencing what they're experiencing at the hands of the addict. Do you know what I mean? That doesn't make your your road any less or any any. You know, it really doesn't. Yeah, and um, thanks for saying that. I I I I, under, I do I do get that at one level, but at the other level, it's kind of. It's a bit weird. It brings you back to a place where you don't want to go. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can because sense the conflict in you. You don't even, to this day, mm-hmm. you struggle to criticise him for his behaviour. Um, I, I do struggle to criticise him because of what I have learned and what I've gone on to do. I mean, I suppose 
look, to be honest here, my dad was a stranger. I didn't know him. So if I was to say, in all logical head on me now, I'm going to open my front door. I'm going to let a stranger come in. I'm going to let him have hatchets fly across the floor. I'm going to let him unspeakable cruelty. And we're all going to put up with that. Sure, you wouldn't. No. You wouldn't do it. So he was a stranger. And because, look, my mom, I'll be honest with you, my mom said the day my dad died, he said, she said to me, Pamela, don't be bitter. It will only eat you up. Yeah, well, that's true, too. The anger that, that we feel about other people mm-hmm. does us no good. And it really doesn't. But I do think you have to own I think to heal and to move forward in your life, you have to own your feelings. I think you have to acknowledge them and and and, and validate that they were reasonable. And I think they are. Can can I? I have a sense of your childhood, and and it was hard. No, no question. Um, mm-hmm. Bring me forward to now. What is the legacy that you, I suppose, live with from that time, Pamela? Like you talked about the fear and and all that stuff. Does that does that stay with you? Does that reignite from time to time in certain situations? Oh God, yeah. I mean, if I. If I was out, we'd say, or in in a shop or whatever, and I heard a a door bang or a loud noise, I would literally be stuck to the ground. Now, I wouldn't wet myself, but I would be stuck to the ground and I would be fearful because I'd be waiting for what, you know, brings you back. It's a pattern match, they call it. And it also brings you back to the time where they told you you were stupid and you were no good and you weren't from mainstream school and you remember the doors banging when all this came home and you're going hang on a second now you know because part of part of the child that I would have now would be you can't speak you have no voice you are literally gripped with this fear that cripples you and you know and you're going hang on a second I'm not really that you know stupid if I you know I'm putting those terms to you and so when 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 you find when I finally finally found my voice, then you know I I started to learn and I started to be like a big sponge. I just wanted to know everything. Do you, do you see where I'm coming from? Oh, I and do. So, yeah, I do. Yeah. I I totally uh-huh. do. Can I just say or ask rather who who told you you were stupid? Who who said all that stuff? Who who? Oh, sure. That would be from from you know my dad and you know then you go to school and because you know you live with the shame and you hide. And all of this stuff, and when you know, being in school, uh, particularly primary, I didn't speak very much. So they said, "Well, there's something wrong with her." Basically, send her off somewhere else because we don't know what to do with her. And of course, uh, you mm. can sort of see now, or I can sort of see from what you're telling me, maybe mm-hmm. why you didn't speak. You know, you were a cowed child. You know, you were a child yeah. who lived in in fear of being shouted 100%. at. Or, or mm-hmm. was there physical violence? Would you get hit and things like that? Um, I got hit a couple of times, but I think the worst was to do with my mom. You know, you've seen, you've seen some things that no child should ever have to see. Like my mom was in a wheelchair. She was crippled with rheumatoid arthritis and there's no getting away from Akira. I was not a pleasant teenager to be around. I just wasn't. I reacted badly to everything. Um, but I calmed down. Uh, I, my mom said that went on for about a year. <laughs> and then eventually I copped on yeah. and everything you know, smooth, but well, I want to say smooth, but it was better than it was, and um, <clears throat> you know, and you know, my mom would never have, you know, she was an angel, like to be honest with you now, to put up with what she put up with, and I think, Jesus, lad, almighty, when you think about it, 
uh, you know, seeing seeing some things, you know, the cruelty towards her and just, you know, it should never happen. And and that's the you ask me what the the legacy of of now of who I am now. You know, these things change. When you see these things, Kira, I'm, I'm sure people out there know this. It changes who you are. You yeah. know. And, well, and we you, are we are we are the woven fabric of our lives experience aren't we? Mm. we 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 are the sum of what we've done and what we've seen and where we've been and who we've loved and maybe who's loved us um mm-hmm. yeah i i I, 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 I feel heartbroken hearing you you talk like this to be honest do, do you know something i'm going to say something really weird now because i said it before you know and people say are you mad and i'm going not really no they might have thought it was but i'm not <laughs> um Okay, I've had those experiences and, you know, yes, I've had difficulties within my life. We say not even within relationships or bad relationships, but even, you know, making friends. They're hard work because the normal banter, the normal interaction, it doesn't exist. It's like a vacuum. Is trust an issue for you? Um, Is trust an issue for me? Um, I suppose trust is an issue for all of us in fairness, but, but to a greater or a lesser extent. Um, um, yeah, I'd be, I'd be fairly tuned in. And if I trust you, I trust you. Yeah. But it doesn't come easy. Yeah. Well, that's okay. That's okay. That someone has to win that trust. That's okay. But in, but in the normal context of, you know, getting on with your daily life, your daily business, you know, yeah, I'd be probably on high alert. I'd be waiting for, you know. And, and Pamela, did you go on yourself and have a family? No, no, Kira, I didn't. I, I'm on Twitter there, so you probably know. I know, I know who you are, but I, I don't know your, 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 your personal circumstances. Oh, yeah, so, no, so. no, I didn't. But I, I do have little people in, in my life, my, my grandnieces and my grandnephews. And, you know, that's what, what the weird statement I was going to say is I'm very grateful to be here. I'm very, very grateful to be here because I have those little people in my life. Yeah. You know, I get to see them grow up and be amazing and amazing little human beings and getting older and learning stuff I get to experience that you know so yeah. whatever my, my my circumstances are now um you know as, a, as an adult child of course you're going to have issues with you know getting on with people or stuff like that you know and do, do you do you ever look at the grandnieces and the grandnephews you have now little kids mm-hmm. and imagine that you were once that little kid and think about because it's very hard for us to be objective about how we were treated and mm-hmm. look at them and imagine if they were treated the way you were treated. You'd have a great insight into how that might affect them, wouldn't you, if if, if you imagine someone being cruel to them? Yeah, you know, something here, that's really interesting because I couldn't imagine if people say to me, my God, you spoil those kids. And I do. I do. I absolutely, I idolise them. Yeah. I really do. Um, and I suppose a bit of that, if I'm being honest, from your question is, you know, I'm being a bit selfish and kind of healing myself. I don't think you're being selfish, Pamela. I don't <laughs> think you're being remotely selfish. I also think that you're helping a lot of people, um, lots of people getting involved. Uh, Claire says on Twitter, Kira, I am glued to the radio. What a brave girl. Someone else says, Kira, love the show. I'm nearly 50 and I can say my childhood ended this year after 20 years of treatment and recovery from my own addictions. I learned why I was so traumatised and distressed by my dad's alcoholism, learning that I can live my own life. As a son, I idolised my dad growing up and I soaked up his worldviews, his issues, his depression, his hiding from from life, even how he drank. I got to care for him in his dying years and forgive him. And he did do his best for me as 
and I did this for my own kids. So that's someone else who, who I think really relates to what you're saying. And someone else says, Kira, my dad was a drinking man and psychologically abusive. As a young lad, I was left to protect and care for my younger siblings after my mom had a stroke. Now he's dead. My siblings choose to sing his praises to relatives and friends to the detriment mm-hmm. of my respect for them. I also think sometimes the role you have in a family means that that man, John, who's just texted about caring for his younger siblings, mm-hmm. he may have gotten the worst of it. There's often a whipping boy in a, or a whipping girl in a family that, that maybe has a different upbringing or experience to the rest of the people. Um, I, I, the only reason I asked you, did you ever look at the kids and imagine you as those kids and imagine someone being mean is, is sometimes we, we aren't kind enough to ourselves to really acknowledge how much better we deserved, but we can see it for other people. And I, I was just wondering if you if you ever thought about that. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, that's kind of on the money, Kira. to be honest there now. But, you know, um, at, at, at the end of the day, I mean, I had a great life. I had experiences. I went to Dublin. I trained. I got to care for people. You know, I, I got to do all of that. And I got to meet new people, make brilliant friends. Eventually, I did, you know, if I... I don't really give advice to myself a lot because I'm really bad at that. But if, you know, one good piece of advice I did give to myself was, you know, don't bother hiding. You'll only end up finding yourself in the end. And if you stop hiding, there's a there's a, there's a bright road out there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there is. There's a bright road. And there's good people. There's kind people out there. And yes, it was absolutely crap. Like it was. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. Nigel says, Ah, Kira, this woman is such an amazing person to talk so openly about her childhood and the experiences she had. Truly heartbreaking. Last question for you, Pamela. When you hear other people describe your childhood as heartbreaking, mm-hmm. what do you think? I think they're probably right. I think, to be honest, Kira, you know, it is, it was heartbreaking and. But I'm not a victim. I'm not. I, I you know, I, I, I refuse point blankly to, to, um, you know, to uh, give up on human nature, to give up on people because of a stranger, if I can put in those terms. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Look, uh, you know, I think when, when, when our home is fractured in that way, our home that should be yeah. our, our, our refuge and our safety, particularly as a child, when the world is a scary place anyway, when, when it, when it's. When the scariest place you have is your home, uh, it does something to us. And 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 I, I, I think you're very brave, Pamela. And and I'm I'm extremely honoured that you've you you've come on and, and spoken about this to me. Thanks, Kira. I I I think that uh, you know I I leave you with this. The only bit of comfort I had really as a child was the radio, with the one earpiece with the with the with the. You know the one, you the know, little the, transistor. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, them. yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I tune into the radio, and I still tune into the radio. So you know, thanks for that, and literally, thanks. Hey, thank you. Um, last thing I'll say on this is, is James's tweet. It says Pamela is courageous, and I have so much respect for her. She clearly is a lovely, kind, caring person, and makes this world a better place for being in it. And I. Echo every word of that. 53106. Let's take a break. Now, you are welcome back. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure what to say, having um, having listened to Pamela there. Um, just an incredible, an incredible testimony to, to uh, 
somebody's upbringing. And I, I, I think she's inspirational and I think she's... Um, I, I, I don't know if I'm the better of it, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. And lots of people texting uh, and all of that. Someone has emailed and said, getting in touch to share what it was like to live with an alcoholic mother. My father worked away from home, so it was often just me and her. The usual, the drunkenness, the unsteadiness on the feet, the having to bring her to bed. When I was in third class, the teacher was giving a lesson about alcohol and I suddenly realised my home life wasn't normal. Before that, I thought everyone's mam was like this. It made me feel sick and it still does. The worst part was that nobody believed me because she was a functioning professional. I'm an adult now and it still haunts me and has impacted my relationship with my mum and with alcohol and will continue to do so forever, I would imagine. Um, and lots of people texting. Uh, Miriam says, Kira, Pamela is an amazing person. I am in tears listening to her and inspiration. Best wishes, Pamela, for the rest of your life. And that's, uh, I think we all echo that. And Gronya's on the line. Gronya, you weren't the child of an alcoholic, but you were married to one. Tell me about that. I was, yeah, yeah. And it, it's great now that we're talking about this. And I have to say, Pamela there, I was just in awe yeah, of me what too. she said. Absolutely in awe. And I just said, her courage needs to be admired by everybody. But yeah, I was, uh, this is, I suppose, a concept that has a name now. It's called secondhand drinking. Yeah. You know, that there are so many people affected by, you know, alcohol consumption and the overindulgence. And for me, I had um, a wonderful marriage to a man I loved very much. But for the last seven years of our marriage, he was an alcoholic and I had no experience of drinking. I didn't grow up in a drinking home. My father never drank. My mother had the odd second had second glass of sherry at Christmas, yeah. that type of thing. It so hardly I, counts. Yeah. That's it. I had no concept. And he binge drank every single night and he was a senior officer in the Defence Forces. I was a sec- I'm a second school teacher. We had the big house with the two cars. But his drinking took over my life, took over everything. I essentially became his 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 carer. I morphed from being his wife to his his cook, his cleaner and his carer. And the, the thing about it is it's very hard to convey the absolute sense of aloneness yeah. when you're living with an alcoholic partner. And he didn't consider himself an alcoholic because he only drank red wine, an expensive red wine. So, um, as he said, I just like red wine. But it was the isolation with it. My life shrank. Um, I couldn't go out after seven o'clock in the evening because by then he would be drunk. And it was like looking after an adult with special needs. So here was a man during the day who wore a uniform, who was in command of nearly 400 people. But at night, I would have to carry him to the toilet every night, pull down his pants, his underpants, and make sure he went to the toilet. And then I'd have to carry him up the stairs to bed, get him to bed, go down the stairs and clean up the house and put it back into order again, then get up to bed and then keep an eye out for the middle of the night, wanting to go to the toilet, bring him to the toilet again, come downstairs then and get up in the morning at 10 to 7 and go out and do a day's work. And in the evening then I had about a three hour window where I had to fit in my life and until he started drinking. And he drank every night seven days a week, 365 days a year, until I had to, it was going to kill one of us and I had to, to leave the situation essentially. But the thing is about secondhand drinking is that like, you know, when they're drinking, someone else has to pick up the slack. So I had to do all the housework, I had to do all the cleaning, yeah. the DIY, everything. And the pressure of maintaining this facade of the middle class life. And, um, but it's basically, it, 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 every day became Groundhog Day. And I lost the person that I loved. I lost him. I grieved him as I carried him up the stairs. But the other thing I carried to was the shame. I was so ashamed. and I was trapped by the shame. And I lost, I couldn't go out after, basically my social life ended. 
my interaction with the world ended. I worked, I went home and I cared for him. And slowly but surely, it ate into everything. I remember I had to pawn my jewellery. Um, obviously, drinking red wine is expensive. And even though we both two very good, well-paid jobs, I like a lot of soldiers, I suppose, and he would have done trips to Lebanon. He brought home a lot of lovely gold jewellery. One day I realised I had to collect it up and I collected it up and I got into my nice big Volvo and I drove into town and went to cash for gold and I got €1,390 for it and it lasted five weeks. Wow, okay. Yeah. Um, can I can I ask you, Corona, you, you said it was for the last seven years of your marriage. Do you mm-hmm. do you know, and you, and you talk about grieving him and, and mm. losing him, mm. do you know why you lost him? Do you know why he changed? Well, he was uh, he was an adult child and alcoholic too. And I think that his as he went up through his, he said it was the stress of the job at the time, but I think he didn't have the coping skills, yeah. I suppose. And essentially, he grew up in an environment, and I suppose it's a very Irish thing, and it's a very Irish masculine thing, I think, as well. He didn't have the, I think now in hindsight, he didn't have the vocabulary or the wherewithal or the coping strategy to deal with stress and anxiety and things like that in a job. And I think he just mimicked what he saw when he was growing up, that drinking was an escape. It seemed to be the solution to everything. There was, I don't think he knew there was another way. Yeah. Now, we did reconcile and we did go to counselling. And I think that in the end, the marriage didn't survive. He opted to leave because I think the enormity of the consequences of his drinking probably was far too difficult for him to deal with. Yeah. And there's about five years of his life that he actually doesn't remember because he drank till he blacked out every single night. Good Lord, good Lord. Mm. You, you mentioned as well the you used the words trying to keep up the middle class mm. facade. Did did you ever tell anyone what was going on no. in your home? No, I didn't. And I to be honest, no one, I, not not no. not even your closest friend or family. No, and no. um, one or two close friends knew. My some my family knew. They knew that he had a problem with drink, and they came in to help me and pick up the slack. But to be honest, I don't think even I realised myself how bad it was because, like every day, it was like Groundhog Day. And um, my counsellor, she described it as the Chinese circus act of spinning the place. Like I was always an hour ahead. I had to factor in my life an hour ahead all the time to keep things together. But I'll be honest, I don't think I realised how bad it was until um, we had exhausted. We we had three interventions for drinking, uh, for his drinking, and eventually had a one-to-one alcohol counsellor. And it seemed to be going well. And again, I got my hopes up. I thought, this is it. This is the thing. This is going to work this time. There's always hope, you know, that it's going to work this time. And um, it came up to the Christmas, Christmas dinner. He cooked Christmas dinner as usual, but I didn't know that he had saved himself a special bottle of red wine as a treat for himself, like as a reward. And he got drunk on the Christmas dinner and he got so drunk that he couldn't use the knife and fork. So he ate his Christmas dinner with his hands and then eventually just passed out into the plate. And at that point, I knew, I said, I, and my mother, God love her, was beside me. And I had to then just spend most Christmas evening cleaning up the kitchen from the destruction outside. Which was, And that, that was, and the awful thing is, it's a bit like the analogy of the boiling frog. Do you know the way, how, I do, know you kill, how do you kill the frog? It's put into boiling water, but it jumps straight out. But it was a very slow morphing of, of, you know, I changed from being a wife, a lover and a partner to being a cook, a cleaner and a carer. And then suddenly... I wake up one day and I realise seven years have passed and I knew that if I didn't leave, it, this was going to kill one of us, yeah. either him or me. And um, at that stage when I was pawning my jewellery and selling other things that belonged to me yeah. to keep, you know, bills paid and things and keep him in drink, 
that I realised I have to. So I borrowed €3,000 from my mother with a handbag and a suitcase and I left. Grania, I, 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 mm. I, I don't know what to say to you. And, mm. and, and, and that image is in my head of your mm. husband eating his Christmas dinner with his hands at the table while you all looked at each other. Did your mum say anything to you at my, that point? My poor mother, her heart broke for me. I'd say so. My heart is broken yeah. for you. And I, I'd like, at that stage, any hope I had, I knew at that point, like the sense, it's, this, it's very difficult to convey the sense of absolute hopelessness at that point because I knew, as I said, this was the third intervention to deal with the drinking and it had failed. It was like, my heart fell out of me, you know, as I looked and we were sitting in our beautiful dining room, you know, it was a large, we had a large house and on the wall was pictures of his trips overseas, his commissioning, his medals, his commission from the president was on the wall and we were sitting in the middle of this dining room, this beautiful home and he was passed out in his, in his Christmas dinner. And, and that's, and and now, yeah. Gronya, just mm. just lastly, now you did leave. You did. I, did, I mean, yeah. you sound together. Mm. You sound strong, but you, mm-hmm. you you obviously lost a lot as well. You loved your husband. You, oh, as you said, grief. partner, lover, he, he, friend. Yeah. You you didn't want this outcome. No. And 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 no. how how do you feel now? Well, I've had to slowly rebuild my life. I mean, first thing, I had to actually go out into the world. It's very hard to convey kind of the sense of shame of how much I was trapped by it. For example, I avoided places where I was known. I slowly withdrew myself from my sport. And it's like kind of being released from a prison almost. I go, it's like the daylight is so bright now, you know. And I've had to slowly rebuild my life one day at a time. I've gone back into my sport. I've seen people that I haven't seen in years. And they see me now for the first time in years. I've um um have buying my own home now. I'm um slow I went in joined a writing group, I wrote stories about it and you know, I got confidence in my voice because the other thing too is that my self esteem, myself, my sense of self was just totally eroded away slowly, slowly. As a woman I thought I was ugly, I thought I was, you know, no longer sexually attractive because my husband preferred red wine to me. You know, it ate away at my soul. Watching his drinking, it destroyed my soul, is the way I would describe it. And slowly, 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 I've rebuilt my life. I have slowly come out into the world, back into my sport. But it's been a very slow process. And, you know, the anxiety going, like I would deliberately, for years, I avoided going to things like cafes, restaurants. If I was walking the dogs, for example, I would only do it in the dark so when people wouldn't see me. It's the sense of shame because that's the thing with somebody's drinking, just like your previous speaker, you carry their shame as well. And that's the thing I found so hard to lose, is to lose the shame of his drinking so that I'm free to get out of my own life now. And it's been very hard work, you know, and then to the forgiveness and then to... I suppose, forgive myself as well and things, you know, and to learn to love myself again and to learn to accept myself and to find my self-esteem and to find my confidence again. And, you know, and the awful thing is most people, I think, must have, you know, people must have known. He had a very wide social circle of friends, my ex-husband did, and he still does. But, you know, the, the absolute aloneness of it that at the evening, nobody is going to come to the door to help me carry him to the toilet. Nobody was going to come to the door get down and you know when I got down my knees to mop up his puddles of urine you know people would there was no one there to say look you go sit down have a cup of tea I'll do it this time and that's probably probably the most difficult part is that I was totally alone when the door closed with this person and I had to 
keep the house running and keep everything going and the pressure of keeping everything going, get him up to bed, make sure he was safe. Even on holidays, one of the things I'd have to do is I'd have to case the room. For example, if we had a door out to a balcony, I would have to move furniture across the door because one day we were on holidays in France and I woke up in the middle of the night. And that's the other thing, when you're with an alcoholic, you don't sleep, one eye is always open. Um, I woke up and he was standing on, a bal- on the actual windowsill um, oh, going Jesus. to the toilet out the window. If he'd taken a step forward, he would have been killed. My God. You know. Cornel, lastly, your mm-hmm. husband, what what shape is he in now? Well, he is sober now. He is sober. He stopped drinking. Um, he is fit and he's healthy. But um, I think that he has moved on in his life and he has a wide circle of friends. And I'm glad that he is fit and is healthy. But I think his story, I think he has, he is afraid of his experience. He is afraid of of his drinking and I think he's deeply ashamed of it and he is deeply hurt by it and he's deeply bothered by the hurt he has caused so many people. Um, I think he could do something constructive with it, but I think he is just too afraid to go there. Essentially, he is still, I suppose he's what's euphemistically known as a dry alcoholic. He yeah. didn't do, you know, do anything with it and unfortunately he's replaced his addiction with other addictions and um, okay. Okay. But I think that I would wish him well. I wouldn't wish him any harm or anything course, like that. Of course, listen. But, mm-hmm. you, between yourself and Pamela, I, 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 mm. I, I don't have the words to, mm. to sort of express to you how how grateful I am for you to talking to me. But mm-hmm. also the amount of people who who you're helping. It, it, people are you know saying mm. uh, listening to this woman. She was right to get out of that situation. Not many people would. Mm. Um, and uh, other people are saying you know they're. they're about the support of Al-Anon. Al-Anon changed yeah, my life yeah. and with the support of them. And people are talking about Pamela still too. Someone says, Kira, mm. I empathise with these ladies, but with the one whose dad, he over, my dad overlooked the fact that children grow up and I beat the crap out of them. I have to now take medication for depression about all of it. Mm. Uh, it's like the fallout is, the fallout is big. It is. But that's the things to talk about and don't be afraid. I mean, I know people, I see people now that I've known for years and the, the hardest part is to look and to look away. You know, they see me, but they don't see me. And I know that in a lot of cases is they're afraid to talk to me. But please don't be afraid to go up and talk to somebody you haven't seen in years. Yeah. You know, the more we talk about this, the more we engage with it. Don't be afraid of saying the wrong thing, because I think people say, oh, Jesus, I don't know what to say to this person. You know, just go up and say, look, I'm sorry. I don't know what to say. I'm yeah. the anything I can do. But the thing is, you know, we we tend to be terribly afraid of others' pay, other people's pain and grief. Yeah, we do. You're right. We, we, yeah. we recoil from it. I'm not we quite do. sure why. Um, yeah. Look, someone just yeah. has texted, says, Kira, mm. I'm sitting in my car listening to this lady. I have never heard a woman speak with mm. such strength and grace mm. after her no, experience right. with her husband's alcoholism. It is truly mm. to be respected. On that note, can I just say we see you. Yeah. We see mm. you now and, and, and you everyone so listening sees you. And yeah. um and your strength, I, I don't know where you found it, but thank you very much for speaking to me, Gronia. Yeah, thank you um, too, Kira, for, for, you know, for making this, as I said, giving a kind of an ear to people and giving a voice to people. Because I think the one thing with in Ireland and alcohol, there's nothing wrong with alcohol. It's just the way we use it. But I think it's a bit like the secondhand smoking thing. You know, we've moved on from that. We need to think about it now with drinking. Yeah, you look, know, look, thank and you. talk about it. Thank you. I feel like I don't I don't know if I'm worthy of, of, of hearing these stories because I, I realise people are, are putting sort of their, their whole lives out there. And thank you for that indeed. Let's take a break. 53106.
Now, we are, of course, live and unscripted here on Lunchtime Live because it is a Friday. We only talk about what you want to talk about. We only go where you want us to go and with, you know, your suggestions and, and, and only our listeners are our guests. And I don't know if you've been listening since 12, but I, I, I'm blown away, to be honest, uh, by both Pamela, who spoke about being the adult child of an alcoholic and Gronya, who spoke about being married to an alcoholic, the fallout uh, in their lives from dealing with someone else's addiction. James says, what struck me most listening to Pamela and Gronya is their dignity and strength. I wish them both happiness in their lives and to know that they are valued and cared for. Thank you, Pamela and Gronya, for sharing your stories. And, and I would absolutely echo that too. Uh, someone else says, um, uh, I am 40 and despite knowing that my mum did so much for me when I was growing up throughout my life, I am still bitter that my mum did not take us kids out of the situation that our dad inflicted on us. It has affected our relationship to this day. Uh, someone else says, I'm in full sympathy with the lady's recollections of being the child and the wife of an alcoholic. We need to think about the effect of our drinking and our partying on our families. Um, and someone says, Pamela is healing me with her words today, Kira." Please thank her for coming on air and being so open and honest. Uh, a lot of people asking me to mention Al-Anon and talking about the difference it made. And someone else says, Kira, there used to be a meeting in Dublin called Adult Children of Alcoholics. It was a support group based on the AA 12 Steps. Uh, I'm not sure if it's still going, but it was very helpful for adult children. Um, someone else says, Kira, uh, I'm glued to the radio listening to Pamela. Although my dad wasn't a drinker, he did beat the living daylights out of me. Uh, I was the eldest of four. I wet the bed, I chewed my fingernails to nothing. And when he walked out on us when I was 11, my uncle took over the beatings. Sadly, my mum never jumped in to help or defend me. She was visibly there, but that was it. You grow out of your childhood, but you take the experiences with you. I'm a 45-year-old woman now with two grown children and I'm in counselling to help me deal with the consequences of other people's actions towards me. My God, I'm so sorry to hear that. Uh, and someone else says, Kira, you know, listening to you, what we're hearing is probably very widespread every weekend in half the homes in Ireland. Yeah, true. And someone else says, Kira, I suggest your listeners look at a website called Silent Voices. It's about raising awareness of the harm called to, caused to children and adult children growing up with parental alcohol misuse. And maybe last one on this. Heartbreaking, Kira, listening to your guests. We grew up in a similar alcoholic circumstance, grew up thinking that physical abuse was the normal way of living. We lived in terror of him coming home, being physically beaten out of the house, sleeping in my uncle's shed at night with my mom and my siblings and then creeping back to the house before the school bus came the following morning in silence never letting on what had happened, sneaking out at night to find my mom to see if he had thrown her out. My God, uh, all when I was only about a metre tall. I'm in my 40s now and I left that behind me and I have a wonderful life with my husband. I only shared this with him after years and years of us being together as I don't want to be defined by it. and I didn't want to colour his relationship with my family. I love my dad and I understand the circumstances of the time, but the struggle not to be the child that I was when I returned for visits now is real. Uh, had it not been from the most amazing mother, we would never have survived so well. Um, I'm going to have to take another break. Uh, thank you so much th for, to everybody. Someone else says, Kira, I'm in awe and strength. I'm in awe of the strength and courage shown by the people in the face of adversity. Please mention Daring Greatly by Brenny Brown. It's an amazing book about shame. 